I grew up on uh, 40 acres. Uh, my, my folks still live there outside of Topeka, and uh, there were all kinds of things to do on those 40 acres. And uh, now uh, on that land, on that property, on those 40 acres, there were some uh, landmarks that as a young child, you know, the parents said, hey, don't go past. You know, there was a, a pond on one side of the property. They said, hey, you, there's no reason for you to go past that pond. And there were some, uh, a barn at another uh, side of the property. They, there's no reason for you to go past that barn stop at the barn and do what you're supposed to do but don't go past the barn that was sort of the message from my folks and then on the other side there was a fence line that kind of marked our property and we you know our folks said hey don't go onto anybody else's land don't go past that that uh, fence line uh, one day when I was I was probably seven or eight years old my parents said hey come on we're gonna go uh, we're gonna go into the pasture we're gonna go exploring and I said okay that sounds like a good idea and we walked through the pasture a ways and we we got to that pond and I kind of stopped and my dad said no come on and and I thought oh man you know this is a pretty amazing deal you know we're gonna go past this pond you know, I had no idea as a seven-year-old what could be past that pond. And so I was pretty excited. And I, I said, oh, uh, this is great. And so we, we walked around the pond and we walked into these, this wooded area. And it was so exciting to explore this new part of that property. And, and I discovered for the very first time this creek, this stream that ran on that edge of, of my folks' property. And, and it was so fun to sort of jump from one side of that, that creek that with rocks protruding out into it to the other side and we followed that creek by the way if you grew up in Kansas like I did then you know that sophisticated people pronounce that word creek as crick all right that's the proper way to say it and so we followed that stream all the way to my grandfather's property and it was just so cool to sort of as a seven-year-old your world is only so big huh and to see sort of these two sections of your world, you know, my parents' house and then my grandparents' house connected in this way and exploring that property. And oh, by the way, you know, we, we were hunting along that way. I didn't have any idea about this, but we, we got to pick stuff and put them in bags. And so we, we picked these mushrooms that didn't sound that exciting to a, a seven-year-old. But even as a seven-year-old, I figured out you fry anything in butter, it tastes pretty good. And, uh, and so we did that. Sometimes when you explore, you find the unexpected. I was just a little bit older than, than seven, I think, when I, I recall this story. I've told this story before, so some of you have probably heard it. My, my uh, mom was, uh, had my brother and I, and we were out uh, doing my older brother and I, and, and she needed to go to the store for something, and we stopped at the Kmart. Kids, there used to be these stores called Kmart. And we stopped at a Kmart and uh, went into that Kmart. And uh, my mom said, I've got to go pick up these stuff. And my brother said, can we go look at this? And so I went with my older brother to explore these aisles of toys in the Kmart. You know, as an eight or nine-year-old uh, young boy, there was just about nothing more exciting than walking your way through all the G.I. Joes and, and uh, whatever else you could find in those toy aisles. And so I was, I was hanging out with my older brother doing that. And I, I'm sure I was captivated by, by one thing or another because when I looked up, I couldn't find my older brother. And so I started to walk up and down those toy aisles thinking he must have gone over, you know, to the Legos or whatever, and, and I'll find him eventually. But I walked up and down those aisles of toys, and I couldn't find him. 
And so I just started walking up the, the perpendicular aisles, you know, looking down each one, right? And I couldn't find them. And what seemed like hours that must have been three minutes to a nine-year-old, I, I, I panicked. I was, I was so scared. I couldn't find anybody else. And I sort of started to cry a little bit, and I, I was wandering around, and I don't remember exactly how I ended up there. I don't know as if somebody took pity on me and they took me to customer service, or if I found my way, or if a blue light special lady took me there. I have no idea how I made my way from the toys to the customer service desk, but I did. And when I got to the customer service desk, you know, they, they had the little intercom that they announced the blue light specials. Anybody remember this? I'm not that that old am I right and so I'm standing at the customer service desk and they said what's your name and I told them through my tears that my name was Lance you need a little background for a lot of years growing up I had real trouble pronouncing certain uh, letters certain sounds I couldn't say my R's very well and I couldn't say my L's very well they sort of ran together sometimes sometimes even today when I'm preaching or I'm I get excited about something, you know, I'll get going too fast and refrigerator will come out refrigerator and it'll still happen that way. I don't know what, well, I do know why I'd be excited about refrigerators, but that's another story. All right, so I'm standing at the customer service desk and I, I'm, I'm trying to tell them my name is Lance, my name is Lance. And the, the guy gets on the intercom and he said, hey, we have a little boy here at the customer service and we need Rusty's parents to come to the front desk. And I thought, what kind of moron are you? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you, you're, I don't want to go home with Rusty's parents, right? I, have, I don't know who Rusty is, but for whatever reason, through the tears and through my, you know, just inability to pronounce those sounds very well, they were hearing Lance somehow as Rusty. I still don't get that. But that's what happened. You know, sometimes when we explore, uh, it leaves us just scared and confused. I guess we're just hanging out in my uh, formative years this morning because right around that same age, my grandfather moved into our house. And my grandfather wasn't, wasn't doing uh, very well. He, uh, he was sick. And uh, I don't remember too much about my grandfather. I remember uh, going to his house and being really bored at his house and being told by my mom, don't touch the coffee cans Me, because my granddad chewed tobacco. And as a single man, he'd sit in his house and he'd have these empty coffee cans that weren't, were no coffee grounds, but with tobacco juice spat in them. And mom said, don't touch those coffee cans. I remember that about my grandpa. And I remember playing checkers after he moved into our house. I'd never really played checkers before. I was pretty young, and, and uh, I, I learned how to play checkers, and I played checkers with my grandpa. Uh, one day, uh, grandpa wasn't at home anymore. He passed away, and uh, eventually that week, there was a funeral. And I remember my aunt coming over to uh, babysit while my folks and my older brother, I suppose, went to this funeral. And I remember uh, playing checkers with my aunt that day. And I thought, this is really kind of odd. You know, just a few days ago, I was playing checkers with my grandfather. That's who I play checkers with. 
You know, and now here I am playing this game of checkers that I never, ever played with my aunt. We went to movies together. We did stuff together. But we didn't play this game. And, and it just sort of, we, like we substituted it in. And I, I suppose I didn't understand completely what was going on at the funeral. I suppose I didn't understand even why Grandpa wasn't uh, home anymore uh, at that point. But, uh, you know, I suppose when we think about sort of explorations in our lives, explorations in the world, you know, as, as adults, it seems like we, we've explored what we need to explore you know, when you think about uh, different lands or different places, you know, you, you do enough reading. Scientists will tell you that most of the earth is unexplored. It's all underwater. You know, it's in the depths of the ocean. But it sure seems like we've explored what we need to explore, that we have answers to the questions that we need answered, except when it comes to those same questions that as a seven, eight, or nine-year-old young person, I had about why Grandpa wasn't here anymore. You know, the last sort of place that we have left to explore is what happens when we die. You know, I, I, I can make a couple promises for sure this morning. The first one is we're not going to completely answer that question this morning, right? We're going to have a really good start. And we're going to have a really good foundation as we explore John chapter 3. Because I think we can understand better what happens when we die based on what scripture teaches us what our Lord Jesus taught us and so we're going to take a look together we're going to explore together John chapter 3 the first 21 verses and we're going to think about two keys that will help us to better understand what happens when we die if you have your Bibles I'd love for you to open them up to John chapter 3 we're going to look at verses 1 through 21 you're going to recognize some of this scripture this morning and we're going to walk our way through these two keys. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. This is what God's word says. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and the son, of man, the son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, uh, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done has been done. What they have done has been done in the sight of of God. A couple keys that we're going to take a look at as we divide the scripture basically in half. Key number one is to simply trust Jesus. Last week, we uh, talked about uh, and took a look at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at a well. If you recall, we learned some things about that woman, that, that she was Samaritan, that she was you know, married many times over, that she was dealing with being ostracized because of some of those choices and situations in life from the people who surrounded her, that she was at that well all alone with Jesus, be, probably because she was either avoided by others or she was avoiding the torment of others. And Jesus reaches out out to this person that not many other folks in his position would have reached out to to have this conversation and to offer living water to this woman at the well. It's this really amazing thing we see in Jesus that he loves people so much that it, you know he doesn't care about what other people say about someone. He loves you. You are God's favorite. That is so cool. That is so cool. And really, we're learning the same thing this morning in verse 1 in a different way. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. If you go back and you, you turn over to John chapter 4 and look at the story we looked at last week, you'll notice some differences as these folks are introduced uh, to us as in this story and this conversation they have with Jesus. You know, first of all, in, in, in John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus and he's named, right? He's an important person. You know, he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's part of the ruling council. He is a person that to a Jewish audience would absolutely have his life together. He's checked all the boxes. He's done all the things. He's gone to the school. He's been there and done that. He's got the t-shirt, all that stuff. His life is admired by so many different people. And so it, it wouldn't be a surprise necessarily that Jesus might have a conversation with uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But to me, it, it just tells me the same story. And as we go on, we're going to discover that, that Nicodemus is there sort of, well, not sort of, absolutely with the same hole in his life, the same hole in his heart that the woman at the well was dealing with. Maybe it manifests itself a little differently. You know, it comes out in his life differently. The questions that he asks are going to be different. The way he goes about and begins the conversation with Jesus is going to be different. But the heart, the root of the matter, is the same. He needs a relationship with Jesus. He might not be able to communicate that yet, but he, just like the woman at the well, just like every one of us, is in desperate need 
of a Savior. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Verse 2 is, is a little bit interesting, right? Because that, that woman at the well in verse 4, she shows up at noon at this well and, and maybe to avoid townspeople or maybe townspeople are avoiding her and she's there at the well. She doesn't expect to have a conversation with Jesus. Nicodemus goes searching out Jesus. He goes looking for Jesus, but he goes at night. You know, I, I suppose we, we might give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt and say, well, he went at night because he's this super busy guy. You know, he's got all this stuff going on. He's a, he's a Pharisee, part of the ruling council. So maybe he just couldn't find any other time to meet with Jesus. Except to have these sort of conversations. Well, that's kind of his job. To say, so to say that he's too busy doing his job to do his job probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe he went to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be disturbed. He wanted this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. I think it's a little more likely that Nicodemus, this guy who is looked up to and respected and uh, the sort of Jewish religious elite, goes to find Jesus at night because he's not sure if he wants anybody else to know that he went to find Jesus at night. Because he's a little bit concerned about how this reflects on him, his reputation. He's a little bit unsure about Jesus. Now he knows there's just something about him. John will use this word sign over and over in his gospel, and he, he uses it here in verse 2, and he, he talks about Nicodemus recognizing that Jesus has already, this early in his ministry, performed these signs that makes it clear to Nicodemus and evidently to, to others, unless he's using just sort of this royal we in the, in the Sanhedrin, that, hey, this guy has to come from God because of what he's doing and what he's saying. There's just something about Jesus. I, uh, I coach my, uh, my daughter's, uh, Lacey, she's a sophomore in high school. I coach my daughter's softball team, and right now is my favorite time of the softball season because they're playing high school softball, and I can't have anything to do with it. There's no practice. There's no, it's so relaxing. It's great. I love it. And so I, but I coach uh, Lacey's softball team, and uh, every practice we talk about how important it is to play catch well. Man, we got to play catch well. We have to work on this. We have to try harder. We've got to do better at playing catch. We have to play catch really well. And we talk about playing catch well because it's, it's fundamental. It's the foundation of the entire game. If you can't catch, you can't play the game. You have to play catch well to play the game well. But secondly, I talked to them about, you know, just sort of what do you do when you show up at the ball field and you're warming up on one side of the outfield and the other team is on the other side of the outfield? I say, do you ever look across to the other side of the outfield? And they say, sure, we do. I say, well, what are you looking for? They say, well, we're, we're watching them warm up. I say, well, how come? We'll say, well, we want to know what they're doing and, and how it's going. I, right, because in your mind, you're already deciding man, they look really good. Or man, they don't look like they're as skilled and as talented as we are. You're, they're deciding. You're deciding in your mind if you can win this game before it even starts by the way you play catch. Just by this simple activity. It's so important. 
You know, Jesus is walking around and he's ministering and he's teaching and over and over in the Gospels it talks about people hearing Jesus teach. And it's not that they'd never heard anybody speak in a synagogue before, but Scripture says when Jesus taught, he taught with this authority that nobody else had. When Jesus had these simple conversations, it's not that these people, this woman at the well or Nicodemus here in John chapter 3, had never had important conversations with anybody. But when Jesus has these conversations, he has a way of looking into their eyes and seeing their heart. There's something different about that conversation. As Jesus ministers and heals, he's doing these things that nobody has seen somebody do before. Man, there is something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus that people all through history have recognized, even if they weren't believers. Gandhi is famous for saying that, hey, I don't like your Christians, but I like your Christ. Because even somebody who doesn't believe, who's not a follower of Jesus, recognizes that there's just something about this guy. And right away in our story, Nicodemus recognizes this, that there's something about Jesus. And just like last week, You know, the woman at the well begins this conversation, and Nicodemus begins this conversation, and just like last week, Jesus sort of cuts through all of the small talk. Verse 3 says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He gets right to the heart of the matter. You want to see the kingdom of God. It's really kind of interesting that as you read through the other three gospels, you'll read that phrase, kingdom of God, all the time. They talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. And we're we're thinking about heaven, about this future kingdom of God. But we're also thinking about this kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in. This is the only place in John's gospel that he chooses this term kingdom of God. What John talks about instead is eternal life. He'll even use that phrase later in our teaching this morning. He shifts from kingdom of God to eternal life. In John's mind, there's no difference. When Nicodemus asked about, wants to know about this kingdom of God, when Jesus initiates this conversation, when he cuts to the heart of the matter, he says, Nicodemus, I know what you want, what you need. You need a relationship with me. You need to understand what eternal life is. And in order to do that, you have to be born again. And so Nicodemus asks a reasonable question, huh? In verse 4, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born this doesn't make any sense Nicodemus says he I sometimes teachers will say well he's he's just concentrating on the physical obviously you can't be born again physically and I'm not sure Nicodemus is so slow that he doesn't get it completely but this idea of being born again it carries with it a completeness a totality And I think what Nicodemus is really saying is, hey, people are what they are because of their past choices and their past experiences. All that stuff makes us and builds us into the person we are today. That makes sense to even us, right? 
And so how can a person get rid of or make new all of those choices and all of those decisions and all of those experiences from their history? It doesn't happen. I knew an elder here who served several years ago here at Wallula Christian Church who was kind of famous around here for saying that a leopard doesn't change its spots. It's the same thing Nicodemus is saying. And that's true to a certain extent, huh? Except that at a certain extent, that's exactly the business that the church is in. See, we, I, can't change my spots. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I will blow it time and time again. I am absolutely a sum of my choices, decisions, and experiences. If I have any hope of that transformation, of that change, then I am in desperate need of help, of a Savior. And that's where Jesus is heading. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly, you need to pay attention. When Jesus says this is really true, you ought to pay attention. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus said it's not really about a physical birth. It's about a spiritual birth. It's about meeting me and knowing me and saying yes to me. Being made new in spirit and in water. Those are really interesting words. And I I think, if you're asking me, how do I read those words? I think John's audience would have understood them as talking about baptism. I think there's some contextual clues. Because right after this, Jesus and his disciples, you'll find them in baptizing other people. And so I think that water is talking about baptism the way the New Testament teaches us to say yes to Jesus. And it's at that baptism that the Holy Spirit moves in into our life and starts working us and making us new from the inside out. But however you read those two words, know that all through the New Testament, there's a connection between spirit and water and wind. In fact, wind and breath and spirit are the same word often all through the New Testament. That's the case here. It sort of changes from wind to spirit. And so Jesus is saying, you need to know me. You need the Spirit to move into your life. You can't do enough things well in order to live up to God's standards. How can this be in verse 9, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Nicodemus just is having a hard time understanding. And so Jesus lays it out. It's all about having a relationship with me and the Spirit moving into your life and knowing me more. You have to trust in me. And he tells Nicodemus this story that he would know well. From Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. The Israelites are complaining, uh, and, you know, and, and Moses says, what do I do? And God is, sends this 
horde of vipers, snakes. And uh, he's ready to destroy the Israelites with these snakes. They're biting people in order to save themselves from the snakes. God says, Moses, I want you to put a, a snake on a pole and I want you to hold it up in the middle of everyone. And when people look at that snake on a pole, they'll be saved from the snakes. And Jesus reminds Nicodemus of this story, of this really simple, and a story that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but this simple execution of trusting God. And Jesus said, you, you have to trust me just like that. I'm going to be raised up. He's pointing to his own death on a cross. If we want to understand eternal life, if we want to understand what happens after death, we have to begin simply by trusting Jesus. Trusting that he is God's son, that he died on the cross in our place, and saying yes to him. Key number two, as we move on through the story, is, is to choose or to enjoy eternal life. Verse 16, maybe the most famous uh, verse in all of scripture, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's, it's the gospel in a nutshell, is it not? It's, it's easy to see uh, how big God's love is. It, all, all through verse 16, we see the magnitude of God's love, that he gave his only son. We see the reach of God's love, that Jesus entered the world, that his love is for the entire world. We see its impartiality, that whoever believes will have eternal life. It doesn't matter if you're Nicodemus or the woman at the well or somewhere in between. Uh, Jesus died for you. He loves you so much. We see its beneficial richness, that it's an offer of eternal life, a life in his presence forever and ever and ever. And we see its limitation. We don't think of God's love that way very much, do we? But this free gift of grace, this free gift of, of eternal life comes with our belief, our turning and following after Jesus. After we read verse 16, we read 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. All right, verse 17 and 18 teach us pretty clearly that God is not about condemnation. He loves us so much that he's made a way for us to be in his presence right, forever, right away. When, when we pass from this world, we are in his presence. We will know him. We will see him. We will experience everything that we've yet to experience here. Verse 19 to 21 goes on to say, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus loves us enough that he entered this world, that he died on the cross, that he, he didn't stay on that cross or in the grave, that he rose on that third day, that we have the opportunity to say yes to him, to trust in him, and to enjoy eternal life. But the truth is, the truth is, when we ignore that opportunity, when we ignore that opportunity, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if we are the woman at the well 
whose life is in shambles. It doesn't matter if we are Nicodemus, whose life is as straight an arrow as you can find, who's always in an upward plane, who's made every right choice, or so we think. Scripture tells us that uh, everyone has missed the mark, that everyone has, has, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the truth of what's taught in verses uh, 17 to 21, that Jesus is absolutely loving and he's also absolutely right and absolutely holy is true. And that while we have the offer of being in God's presence for all of eternity, when we ignore that offer, we'll, we'll be outside of his presence for all of eternity. And that's hard to understand and it's hard to hear. But you know, this is where I come, when I, when I, when I think about, you know, how, how, can, how can this judgment happen and why would, why would anybody have to spend eternity in hell. You know, I, I think about, well, I think about math class. Right? I, I was never very good at math. And I tell my kids all the time, don't, you, listen, you, you need to ask, you know, right now, it's, hey, just go ask your older brother, he'll help you. Right? Don't ask me, I can barely add. Right? Well, I can kind of add. And I can kind of subtract. In fact, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we're having this basic conversation, and I said the same thing. Don't ask me, I can barely add. Well, I can add, and I can subtract. And my wife, Sherry, is always very supportive. She said, you can add, you can subtract, you just can't sign or co-sign. Right? And my daughter, Lacey, she gets me. She said, well, I can sign and co-sign, you just press a button. Right? And that's sort of where I'm at with math. I'll be free, I'll freely admit that there are mathematical concepts that I just don't understand. I'm not smart enough to get, all right? But that doesn't mean that I don't believe that they're true. You see, I, I, I trust my teachers who tried so hard to help me understand those things. You know, I believe uh, the world's great mathematicians and physicists that all those equations that they're working out, I trust that they're true. I believe that the outcomes that we live by every day are true, even though I don't understand the concept and how we got there. And when I read God's word, I get to the same place. I am not, I'm I'm a little bit arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to believe that I can understand God's perfect judgment. And so I'll just grab hold of the promise he makes that if we say yes to Jesus, if we trust in him, we can enjoy being in his presence for all of eternity. I remember exploring that crick when I was seven years old. And I remember when I was graduating from high school, my mom said, hey, it's time to take senior pictures. We're going to go down to the crick, and we're going to take senior pictures on these rocks. 
And I thought, Mom, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I thought, Mom, there's no way I'm spending an afternoon taking pictures sitting on rocks. And that same place, that same spot that had filled me with so much excitement and so much joy bored me to death for an afternoon. Because I'm not real smart, but I'm smart enough to know that when mom says, go take senior pictures, we're going to take senior pictures. And I spent that afternoon just kind of bored. Look, we're, we're out of time, right? But I want to promise you this, that when you think about being in the presence of Jesus, I don't know how to communicate how amazing and how awesome, how joy-filled, how spectacular that celebration will be but it's a lot closer to that seven-year-old boy at the crick than the 18-year-old numbskull. Trust him. Let's grab hold of eternal life together. Let's stand and worship him.